Welcome to the Free Range Preacher on Prayer podcast. Your host, as always, is Fred. Our desire is to encourage, exhort, and educate on biblical prayer through this podcast. The mission of the podcast is to help everyone God allows us to help achieve a growing, biblical, dynamic, and satisfying prayer life. If you have any questions, comments, or prayer requests, you can reach us at freerangeprayer at gmail.com. If you would like, you can make a positive review wherever you get your podcast. That would be appreciated. Welcome to today's episode of Free Range Preacher on Prayer Podcast. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for this beautiful day. We do bless you and we thank you that you have revealed yourself to us. You have revealed yourself to us in truth and in every way that we are able now in the flesh to understand. So we do thank you for that. And we do thank you that your glory is marvelous over our lives, wonderful over our souls, and that that knowledge brought us to salvation. We bless you for that. We thank you that you're in control and you are the God who reveals yourself. We could in no way discover you, but you told us who you are. So we thank you for that. And I pray that you would help us to see today that you are different than every man-made God, every man-made conception of God. The only thing we know is that there is a God, and unless you had condescended to reveal yourself to us, we would know nothing more than that. So we thank you for that. We pray that you open our hearts and our minds and our souls today to see your great loving kindness and the truth of who you are. And we pray all this in the name of Christ, our Savior. Amen. Welcome to the Free Range Preacher on Prayer podcast. My name is Fred, and I'm the host of the podcast. And I am really excited about today's podcast. There's a couple of different reasons. One is certainly because of health problems and family circumstances in the last two weeks. It's been a little more difficult to get the episodes out on the timely manner that I enjoy, that I like to. That makes this day exciting, even more exciting that I can get this out. Now, you all need to know that you are in my prayers, and I'm able, and I'm praying for everyone who listens, and I'm praying and thinking about the episodes as well, even if I'm preoccupied with other things. And like I said, one of the things this week has been health. But the other reason I'm really excited is the subject matter. We are going to look again, even a little deeper, about the fact that the true God, our God, the God of the Bible, the God of the Hebrews, is so utterly different than the city-states and the tribes and the peoples around Israel, around the sons of Abraham, around Job, that when you look closely at what the Word of God says about God, there is no way you would come to the conclusion that any man anywhere created this God. And we're going to see that today. And that's part of our bigger reason as we look at why we pray for a biblical prayer life. And so it's important to know who we are talking to. And especially when it comes to salvation and it comes to our spiritual lives, we need to know who we are talking to. And the terrific thing is the Bible shows us who we're talking to. And God, the Holy God of the universe, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is different than we could ever even think of. And it's been a great joy to do this study and to prepare it, to be able to talk about it. So for those two reasons, I'm pretty excited about this today's episode. 
Now, today's episode will be in two parts. It's just too big for one part. We looked last time at creation stories from all over the world, and we made the point then that the God of the Bible has no fanciful backstories. He didn't create the universe out of other things that were already created. He didn't create the universe with the help of another being. He created the universe out of nothing, all by himself. He spoke everything into existence. And we can't understand that, but that's one of the things that makes us know that the God we worship is not a God of our own creation. We would come up with silly stories like the ones we looked at last week, if we had the chance. And again, biblically speaking, we cannot, we cannot believe those kind of, like I said, fanciful stories. God shows up, he says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then, as we saw last time as well, when asked what his name, and we're going to see again why that was more important than maybe we think, but when he asked his name, he just said, I am. I am who I am. There is no other identity other than what God gives him. And the very basic identity is, I am that I am. He is, he always has been, and he always will be. Now, those thoughts, those creation stories where beings created the universe in various different ways actually don't even answer the, the question where everything came from, ultimately. It may push it back a step, but it doesn't answer the question. Where did those things come from? We talked about a goat and a silver fox dancing the universe into existence. Okay, where did they came, come from? And the same question that we have there, we have for our modern look at the Big Bang Theory, we would call it is where did that little speck of matter come from? How long did it sit there without exploding? And then why all of a sudden did it explode? And we all go back to the place where we believe it by faith. And to believe everything was created out of nothing is actually takes a lot of faith to do that. But as we look at scripture and as we look at history, which we'll look at a little bit today, we are going to see how different the God of the Bible is compared to the gods around him when he revealed himself to Job and to Isaac and to Jacob, and then the children of Israel, he was utterly different than the beliefs of the people around them. And I didn't include this, but it actually first begins with, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. The gods of the people around, again, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they believed in multiple gods. And you could have a god in your city. They were just as apt to believe in that god, hoping their god was stronger as they are to believe in their own god. But along came God, and he took up and he set aside, he didn't take apart, he set aside his people, and he said, there is only one God, and it's me. And that's what we're going to look at today. Now, our extra-biblical information this week, or this episode, comes from The Great Courses Plus, and I mentioned it last time, there's a lecture on ancient Mesopotamia, and we're going to have a couple thoughts as well from Dan Carlin and his Hardcore History podcast. Now, I mentioned at the end of the last episode that we are going to look at God in the zeitgeist of the people around Israel, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And zeitgeist means basically the common thought. Let's say then you think of the Dead Sea, and you know from the Dead Sea that it's so permeated with salt that you float. You don't have to swim. You can absolutely float beyond top of the water. And the zeitgeist means well, if we use that as an illustration that there's salt everywhere, zeitgeist is used to mean a phrase that, that thoughts and philosophies are just part of the culture, that they're just part of, of what people think. And it permeates every bit of culture. 
And a biblical illustration when we look at that is, remember in John 9, we talked about this a little bit a few episodes ago, but in John 9, Jesus was asked a question, who sinned, this man's parents, that he was born blind, or this man? That was in the zeitgeist. Everybody had an opinion on who sinned to bring about the blindness of this man who was born blind. That's what I'm talking about. It's a cultural thought, cultural norm, if you would like, that permeates everything. And the zeitgeist in our day is to look at the Bible and to look at the God of the Bible and then just suppose that he is another form, maybe a little different, than the gods around the culture of Israel at that time. That God is just another kind of form or God that was in the midst of that in all those cultures. And many people use that to downplay who God really is and to assert that he was just a superstition like all the superstitions around him. And we're going to see today that that is absolutely not true. The zeitgeist in our time is not true. God is completely different. And when you look precisely at the Word of God, you will come to that conclusion because the differences are vast. And it does take a little bit of knowledge of the culture around them, doesn't it, to compare uh, the biblical God, our God, the true God. But we're going to look at that as well today. We're going to look at a little bit of that. And like I said, we're going to get this from the series on Mesopotamia from the Great Courses Plus, and then a little bit from a history podcast that I like to listen to. And it actually took me a while listening to the podcasts and the lectures to kind of put this together. It never struck me until recently, the differences. So we are going to look at those. Now, as far as the Great Courses Plus, the lecturer there talked about the gods of Mesopotamia, and she said this, and this is a quote, or pretty much an exact quote, the thought of Mesopotamian gods were god and goddesses, they were wildly powerful individuals who shared our human virtues and had our weaknesses as well as being in charge. So they were basically wildly powerful people who were in charge. And when they were sad or mad, everything was bad. When they were happy, everything was happy. Now, these gods invented by humanity also needed food, water, housing, and gifts. That's why there are temples. That's why there are sacrifices of stuff. And they used to feed them and give them water. I'm not exactly sure what they thought when no food was gone, but they fed them. They brought them food on a consistent basis. And Dan Carlin, in his histories, King of Kings, in those episodes, he talks about they even bathed them. them. They cleaned them. They were the gods. They were the gods in those statues, in those idols. So they were human beings, or they were beings, just like humans, on a much larger scale, and there was no guarantee. And we know that life, for different reasons, some days there's a good crop, some days there are bad crops, but we know it's different from year to year, from time to time, winter to winter. In those days, the Mesopotamians attributed the differences to gods and whether they were happy or not happy. These gods were also parts of families. They fought, they struggled, they hated, they loved, they lied, they cheated, they stole. Again, they were just powerful human beings, and particularly in Mesopotamia, and I think probably all around the world, but particularly in Mesopotamia, one of the other features that the lecturer talked about was in the, in the many myths of the creation of the gods around them, it was pretty clear that the gods didn't like mankind all that much. And they had some myths 
that the gods created men, mankind to do all the hard jobs that the gods didn't want to do. Whether it was mining or farming or whatever it was, getting food, the gods created mankind to be subservient to the gods, doing the things the gods didn't want to do. They came, therefore, to the conclusion that the place of mankind was to serve the gods what they needed, to give to the gods what they needed. That's why they fed them, bathed them, gave them water. Humanity, therefore, in Mesopotamia, were constantly being extorted by the gods to have a safe and happy life. When you boil it all down, that's what you boiled it down to. If you made the gods happy, then your life was good. Their gods also had bodies. They were corporeal. And they made reliefs. They made pictures. They made rock carvings of these, these gods. Now they made idols as well. But in these reliefs that showed like a picture of what was going on, in those relief, reliefs, the ones that have been preserved, I was told on those lectures that you can always tell when the figure was a god or a goddess because they're larger than the figures around them. And they had helmets. And their helmets had horns. So gods needed helmets, but they had horns on them. When they went into battle, they needed helmets, but their helmets had horns. I also learned in that lecture that the gods were represented by the idols. We've talked about that already, those statues. But the people believed that the gods really inhabited the statues. So if they had their idols and their idols were intact, they had a chance to serve their god and to please their god. But they really believed and the the lecturer went on to say that they actually believed their gods could be in the idol and other places at the same time. Now, from Dan Carlin again, we switch back to him, I found out that the city-states, as they fought in wars, they stole their gods from one another, or they broke their gods. That was a show of power. And it really adds to the power of the biblical incidents, like when the Philistines thought they had the upper hand over Israel because they had the Ark of the Covenant and they tried keeping it around, and then they had all those troubles. It also explains their outright fear when they came and found their god, I think it was Dagon, fallen on his face, and his hands and his feet were broken, or his head and his hands. That's why they sent that ark away, because that ark had more power than their god, and they didn't want it around anymore. And flipping back to Dan Carlin again, he added for me, he added for my knowledge, that the fact that if your god was stolen, that was an extra defeat for you. Your God is gone. And so having your statue or your idol, in reality, gone in another nation, that had an extremely psychological impact on the people who lost the battle. And in fact, again, according to Carlin, doing his research, in sometimes, in some places, it was actually unthinkable to even rebuild a city without their idol. So when you took their idol and you crushed it into to dust, that had an impact on that culture at that time. Now think of what you know about the God who reveals himself in the Bible. He is nothing like those gods. He is nothing like a man-created God. And in fact, the lecturer on Mesopotamia also mentioned several times that the gods of all the peoples, they believed in all of them. So if you had a city, a state, if you were in Sumer, you had your gods. If you went to Babylon, they had their gods, but they thought all those gods were real. So your city god was real, their city god was real, and they could believe in all of them. Now, they had favoritism for their own god and hoped their own local god had favoritism for them, but they were willing to believe in everything, every god of any city. 
And that also explains more profoundly some other Bible passages as well. And we'll get to one of those later. But in the broad strokes, when God came to the patriarchs, the Father never came in human form. He never presents himself as a powerful human with all our perceived good traits and the evil that we know to be true about ourselves. He doesn't present himself that way at all. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning God, we remember that. Another passage that I love and is very telling is in Exodus 33, starting in verse 17. Moses wanted to see God before he could go on. He needed to see something. And so from 17 on, the Bible says this, And the Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing of which you have spoken, for you have found favor in my sight, and I have known you by name. And then Moses said, I pray thee, show me thy glory. And he said, I myself will make my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. And I will be gracious to whom I'll be gracious, and I will show compassion on whom I will show compassion. But he said, You cannot see my face, for no man can see me and live. Then the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me, and you shall stand there on the rock. And it will come about that while my glory is passing by, that I will put you in the cleft of the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take my hand away, and you shall see my back, but my face you shall not see. In the beginning, God, and then God says, you can't see me, you can't see who I am, but I will show you my glory. And in this case, he showed his glory by showing Moses visually the goodness of God, and the grace of God, and the compassion of God, and the justice of God. And when you think, at the same time, it's less of a wonder now why the Israelites made a golden idol. They made a calf out of gold because they were used to seeing gods in idols all around them. Now they found themselves in the desert. Moses Moses had been gone for a long time and they had no visible God to lead them or protect them. And what the Bible says is true. They wanted to be like the people around them. So they made a God that they could see. And we know in the law that it was expressly forbidden to make an idol of the true God. You couldn't make anything. In fact, whenever God wants to make a memorial, he does it by stacking up rocks, right? Nothing that could be fashioned by mankind could ever be seen as an idol before God, as a true representation of God. And we looked at this the last time as well. John 1, starting in verse 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. And John bore witness of him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. For of his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. No man has seen God at any time, the only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. And like I said last time, there's a ton of theology into the word becoming flesh. But we know that God the Son chose to do that, to live a sinless life and to die an unnecessary death. For him it was unnecessary to pay for the salvation of our souls. And there is no God ever invented by by mankind who would do such a thing. And in the culture around them, they saw their gods all the time. They saw those statues and those idols all the time. And they needed to see those statues and those idols. 
But along comes a true God and says, you can't see me. You can't appease me. You can't by yourself come into a relationship with me, but I will come into a relationship with you. And he did that in Christ. It is abhorrent to mankind as a species to think that they can have a relationship, a free relationship with the true God of the universe for nothing. We want to work our way. And from those ancient earlier times in Mesopotamia, when the people, those people there came to the conclusion, their demonic conclusion, by the way, that they had to serve the gods, that they had to feed them and clothe them and give them a temple to stay in. From that point on, mankind has been earning his way into a relationship with God. The only thing is, they are not focused on the true God. They are focused on the invented gods of mankind. And the message that we have, again, is that God is there, that he loves, that he's the most powerful being. He created out of nothing, that he didn't need tools or existing things, and he didn't need help. He created everything out of nothing. And he says, I am who I am. And when Jesus came and fulfilled John 1, he also said throughout the Gospel of John, I am the Good Shepherd. I am the resurrection. No one, no one human ever created a God like that. We're going to end this part right there. God is all-powerful and he brought salvation to the world. And we are going to look next episode at at a little closer look at the difference between the God, the Holy God of the universe, and the created gods of of mankind, especially those around Israel, Jerusalem. Read your Bibles. Study what God is like and marvel at his goodness and marvel at his glory. Your God, the God that you believe in, the God that you have faith in, was not created by mankind. He reveals himself to us. And when we read the Bible, we can see what he reveals. We can believe what he reveals and then have faith that when we pray, we are talking to the only true God of the universe. To him, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, we say, be glorified, let them have dominion, let them have a rule, and let us learn of their love and their power and their kindness to mankind. I hate to end this one there, but glory be to God. He is different, he is true, and he's the only true God. And, John seventeen three, our eternal life is knowing him and his Son. Thank you, Jesus. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face to shine upon you and give you peace. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's broadcast of Free Range Preacher. We hope you enjoyed it and will join us for our next broadcast coming up soon. For Fred and myself, this is Richard Durrington saying, Make it a godly, fun-filled day.